0: RTC
1: Good afternoon everyone. Welcome to the Department of Gender Affairs the Naked Truth where we're going to be having an open and a real conversation about domestic violence. We all hear the term some of us we don't want to hear about it but it's happening and it's happening everywhere. And the truth about the matter is, it doesn't matter where you live in the TCI. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter who you're with, who you know, it can affect you. So it doesn't matter. Some people say, oh, it don't happen to me because I have money. Oh, it don't happen to me because I live here. It can happen to anyone. So today, we're going to be having an open conversation with two, three persons who are going to help us to look at it, not just from... The perspective of what happens, but it has happened too, and so we have today, and I want you to help me make welcome Mrs. Nicole Hanna, who is the wife of Bishop Derek Hanna, a proud wife, may I add, and she's also, may I say, the phenomenal principal of the Alpha Christian Academy, right? And so we also have with us Mr. Tanashi who is at Grace Bay Wellness Center. I'm sure some of us would have probably met him before. And he is have over 17 years of working with person in this field um, in the area of mental health and wellness. So we are going to have this conversation today and we want to hear from persons. There are so many things around domestic violence that people don't want to talk about. There are so many things that we want to shy away from. There are so many things that we don't want to do. Because what, we are afraid of the stigma associated with wellness. But we're going to look at it today and we're going to see. So to start off, Miss Hannah, tell us, have you ever been exposed or experienced in any way to domestic violence?
2: Good afternoon, Turks and Caicos, and thank you for having me. And the sad truth of the matter is, yes, I'm both from a personal Experience and then from you know persons that I have interacted with not just here in Turks and Caicos but throughout the Caribbean, United States, Canada. Um, and it's happening more than we would like to believe sometimes. So, sadly, yes,
1: yes, I'm glad you brought up that point. It's happening more than we want to know. To date, we have over 50 reported cases in the Department of Gender Affairs for persons who are seeking protection orders against their partners for incidences of domestic abuse. Now, the thing about it is it's happening more than we know. And persons, sometimes they don't want to come forward because of the stigma associated with it. And worse, persons don't want to seek help because of the stigma associated with domestic violence. But, Mr. Tanashi, why do you think persons should seek help if they are experiencing domestic violence?
0: Um, uh, Good afternoon, Turks and Caicos. Uh, I think this conversation has been long overdue. Uh, This is one of those uh, things that happen usually behind closed doors, and people really never talk about it. So I think the numbers that you've mentioned are, are pretty much the very tip of the iceberg. So there's a lot more things that happen uh, that people don't know about. W- where I sit uh, as a therapist is that people speak about things that are very difficult to speak about with anybody else. So that means that I'm more exposed to things that are happening in uh, private homes. So I can definitely you know, say that there's a lot more going on than we care to know. Right? And I- I'm willing to place a bet that most of us here, while we're sitting here in the studio, have been affected by domestic violence somehow. Yeah, whether we grew up in a household like that, whether we have a family member involved in it, so which goes to show that the fifty that i have reported are but a small, uh, a small number. But seeking help, why should we seek help? Uh, I remember last year when we had uh, this spate of killings, you know, which we struggled with here in, uh, in Provo in particular. Uh, I remember re- you know reading a lot about that because, of course, it affects the work that I do. There's families that are involved in this, and at one point, I remember reading that there was one. Um, person who had been killed but this was actually due to domestic violence so it's for these reasons that we really need to be seeking help because we think that things can't get any worse but actually things normally do get far worse than violence that we we end up having people who pass away and on my side as well is the ramifications of trauma which uh, you're going to speak to my uh, soon-to-be colleague uh, more in detail about is the traumatic effects that it has, not only on the person who's being physically abused or emotionally abused, but also on the children as well, if there are any children who are involved. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? And also breaking cycles. So, you know, a lot of people say, you know, people who abuse, you find that um, if you look back, uh, you know, at their family, you will see that this was something that was normal in their family as well. So at some point we need to be talking about where does this end? When are we going to stop? And it's going to need help. And uh, first thing we need to do in terms of help is to start talking about it.
1: Start talking about it. And I like the way you spoke about affects everyone. And that is so in tune with our theme for this year, which is everyone knows someone. And that is why we're having this live because we know, people know, but they don't want to say, they don't want to talk. But everyone, we do know someone that's been affected. Sometimes it's ourselves that's been affected. And so, and I also like the fact that you mentioned children, children, people always tend to forget the children who are sometimes the most traumatically affected. And so with that in mind, Miss Hannah, Mrs. Hannah, um, the lovely wife of Mr. <laughs> Mitchell Hannah. Tell us, from what age were your
2: first exposure to domestic violence? Tell us about it. Show so my personal experience, um, I was 17 years old. And at 17, I thought I was in love. And, you know, I'm about a senior in high school. And so, you know, I'm thinking that, oh great, this is the perfect person. And um, my time in high school, there wasn't an issue. This was a very supportive person. Um, Even though persons around me didn't support the relationship, I did not have any issues. You know, at 17, I think everything that I expected from that relationship I was receiving. But once I graduated and I was a very, you know, independent young lady, um, things started to change because now I'm more exposed to people, I'm having uh, personal contact. And the very first incident, most persons probably wouldn't even think like, oh, that was in domestic violence. But for me now, the adult version of myself, that was the first red flag. And it, all it was, we had um, a disagreement and it was in a public place and it was a very strong hand pull and some explicit words that yeah. was there. Um, at the time because of who my parents were and like i said this was a very open event so the first thing oh my god don't embarrass me until so i moved away um to a more secluded place mm-hmm. because you know i'm thinking at 17 that this was the best it isn't creating a scene um and i had a family member my uncle who was at this event he wasn't near to me but he saw the incident, and he sent his wife to find out if I was okay and if he needed to come over. So now the fair, because um, that would not have played out really nice. So I'm no uncle. Dick, everything is okay. It's fine. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Nothing. It's nothing. And I dismissed it. And looking back, that was. Um, a friend of a a very good friend of mine, um, shared this and I've never forgotten it Mm -hmm. that many times we look at the fall, but it's not the fall. We have to look at the slip because if we prevent the slip, we prevent the fall. And that was the slip because every incident after that was an escalation. It went from that one tug, um, The next time, you know, jealousy was a factor. So now it's um, trying to control who I'm speaking to. I remember one time I was at my job and where I worked at the time, I worked with a company. I was the only female um, on staff. And he worked with the company sometimes. And there was an incident with... An employee from another office who did not know me, did not know that we were in a relationship. So this person comes on the phone and it's just very, hi, and oh my God, you know, we need to get together in terms of our working relationship because we are on two different islands and just a casual conversation. And that was taken, you know, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: another way. And I just heard this commotion, right? outside and so I where my desk was I could roll back and sort of look down the corridor and I saw guys you know who I'm working with I did not know what was happening I really I did not know but I later found out that they had to stop him um, because he was gonna come in with a piece of two by four to fight me (laughs) Um, to give you an a even deeper perspective into this, at the time, my father is a very high-ranking police officer. And with all the authority, my father was, because he's passed away now, so a very law-abiding citizen. My mother is a mama bear. And so my thoughts were, I can't tell my family this. I can't ever let them know that this has happened. Um, Because I, I became scared for my family. Like my mother would do something and she would go to jail. And maybe my sisters would get hurt. And you put this weight. And you think about everybody and everything except you. And so that was the second incident the third incident was um pulled a gun on me and he said that i would literally blow your brains out and i don't know somebody i would say somebody was praying for me because i looked him straight in the face and i said before you shoot me do do one favor for I have one thing to tell you. When you've shot me, I want you to go. This happened in the Bahamas. So I said the, um, me Cemetery, right? I said, go to Grand Bahama Memorial Park and dig two graves. One for me and one for you. And it was just this pause. My father heard about this incident and I, he obviously told my mom and then they called me. I'm 18 years old at the time. And they called me in the room, you know, called the person's name. And he said, I heard that he has pulled a gun on you. And the fear. Immediately. I was so afraid. Um, And I remember, I remember saying, you're always listening to people and sort of trying to brush it off but what my father was t- because you know I'm I'm you know playing it back he 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 just wanted me to know that he knew but and this is what a lot of persons I think don't realize that the help is there you know but the step that it takes to get the help I, from my experience, and like I said, my father is in a position because he is a high-ranking, on the island of Grand Bahama, at the time, there's only one person that was above him. So I'm not talking about a sergeant or an inspector. He's a high-ranking police officer and he's in a position mm-hmm. to protect me. But I did not let him. I did not. And from that incident and I think I think a part of the individual psyche now was he knew that I would not tell and it escalated to the final incident where I ended up being um you know I'm a very we say thick girl now (laughs) but then I was very slender I used to cry because I couldn't weigh 100 pounds And at the time of this incident, I was probably at the most I had weighed in my teenage life, which was probably between 115 and 120 pounds. And um, it ended up with me being thrown into a concrete wall. And there are some things to this day that I don't remember that happened. The police were involved so obviously my dad is now involved um and that was a hard time because i think mentally i sort of blocked out what happened and it was i embarrassed my family i let them down um then there was, now my father's like, we go into court. And so, you know, when you're living on an island and people have access to you, the calls and, you know, his parents were well-known. Um, and I just feel pressure. There was a child, not my child, but a child was involved who was very touched to me. And then it was messages from the child. Um, Then it was, you know, people getting to me. You're going to cause this child grow up without their father. Are you really going to do this? And my 17, 18-year-old self felt that I was in love. Who do you turn to? Who do you talk to? So I died inside. I died inside. And I changed. Um, I was still the very outgoing laughing person. But inside, I used to sneak. And I started drinking. Never in a million years let anybody know this was happening. Because once again, I was failing. I failed. This was my fault. That's what I was told. Um, It's my fault. I... Medically, I mean, just so many things happened that impacted, as you said in the introduction. It did not only affect me, it affected my parents, my siblings, my wider, because I come from a very close-knitted family. You know, I could not keep the secret anymore because everybody was talking about it. Everybody, everywhere you turned, it was... Did you hear what happened? You know, um, there were persons outside of the incident that were arrested. Because of if the incident didn't happen, these persons would have not been affected. And that was a lot of weight. And it took me a very long time. I became so angry. I did not trust. You know, I did not. I didn't trust anyone because Mm -hmm. if this is someone that my younger self and, you know, when you have that real first love, oh, my God, you are to the moon and this person does no wrong in your your sight. And that's the person that betrays you. um, And then to make matters worse. uh, Persons that outside of my family that I felt should have stepped in to protect me, to me, they became the enemy. Um, At one point, my pastor was involved. And I felt devastated because I didn't feel like he didn't take my side. He didn't hear my voice. You know, I don't know what he was told, but he didn't see that I was dying nobody saw because I kept being Nicola. And, you know, we are, you know, this is the number of years ago now, and there are so much we are able to have this conversation now openly. And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to talk and say, yes, this happened to me. Um, I've forgiven the individual. I don't wish any evil. I don't talk about what happened to me. Um, to get back or revenge, no, it's happening to too many people, and I know what it feels like when you take this burden and you lock it all away because it's too much to carry. And we don't talk about um going and getting counseling, that's like a bad thing, but the truth of the matter is, you got to talk to somebody, yes, you have to. You have to talk to someone and it was maybe i want to say maybe around five years ago um was the first time i in a public setting that i just i'm a very god-faring person and i was invited to speak at i think a, a ladies conference and it was this just deep gut feeling you need to talk about this. And I was scared. You know, and look at this, this I was a child. I'm now in my 40s. And I was scared. Why are we you? Um you know, I did. And after that service, the secret notes thank you. Because now I know that there's help. Um, as a pastor's wife, who does that? Because there's an image of what a pastor's wife looks like. And I battled with that. I battled with that. Um, because This is a part of why you are the way that you are. And either you're going to continue to make what has happened to you, um, in a sense, lock you away or make you bitter or keep you in this depressive state. Or you're going to find that there's power in your story because of how it ended. And you can go and help somebody else. And that's the way that I chose. I chose to use my story because there are a lot of young girls that, that are just like me. 17 years old, 18 years old, 19 years old. And they think that they're in love. And they think that a part of this person loving me is they get to beat up one. And that's not love.
1: Mm.
2: When I finally, this is the last thing because now I feel like I'm broken a lot. But when I finally accepted what happened to me and i met my husband and i was able to be truthful and you know share that pain because i was someone that did not believe in love anymore i used to tell my mom i would never get married so don't be thinking you're gonna be eating no okay cake for me because no way I said Mm-mm. But then I found someone that is just an amazing human being and embraced me. And you know, um my younger sister, we're nine years apart when he met, you know, my family the two of them went out, the first question, it was just the two of them, that she asked it. She says, I have one question. Are you going to ever hit my sister? Your family cares, you know. Mm-hmm. I never thought in my life, being sister, she was maybe nine years old at the time. And it affected her to the point that there's somebody in my life, and that's the only thing she wanted to.
1: So there we're seeing where the cycle is not just for one individual. It affects the whole family. I mean, there are so many things that came out of this. This is yeah. really the naked truth. I mean, listening to this, and um, I can now see and understand because in trying, when we're doing preparing for this Facebook live and we were talking and we we're talking to some clients and getting first person come up, we realized that most persons they're still speaking of the hurt. And I saw what you're saying, you know, for so many years you yeah. hurt. You said it was only five years ago that you were able to actually break through that barrier. And you know, Mr Tanashi, Right over to you, because this is your field. Tell us, why is it that persons who have experienced domestic violence tend to shut down? They tend to feel like they are the cause of it. And, you know, so they are trying to protect others, not realizing that they are hurting themselves more. So what's normally the cause for that?
0: So what you've just described is the definition of trauma, is that you don't look at the person who's done something to you. You're now looking at yourself as the person who is the problem. Yeah, you start to then judge yourself. Uh, but also there's you know there's a different layer to this, and, and the layer is very specific to the place where we are. In particular, if we talk about uh, Turks Islanders, and, and I know you said you were in the Bahamas at that time, which is also another small island, is that sometimes as families, we can become very cultish. And what I mean by very cultish is we protect our own. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned you know the man who was abusing you, that his family, or his people then started speaking down on you, knowing fully well what was going on. But their protection became, we need to protect him from mm-hmm. going to prison. Right. Outside of it being a domestic violence situation, we wouldn't be talking about it. It would be him be- being arrested for assault and violence. Yeah. So it's a crime. But it seems that all of a sudden when it's between partners, we then want to say, we can protect uh, the perpetrator. Uh, Another layer to it is the perpetrator. We keep saying, okay, who should be seeking help? And and you're right to say, quite rightly, when somebody has been through trauma, they need support. But we need to be talking about people who are doing these things. What's going on with you? Yeah. What's behind that? What is the drive behind you thinking, I can't regulate my emotions enough And I have to put my hands on someone or I have to be emotionally abusive to someone. For us, that is an illness on its own. That's already a disorder on its own. So we need to be knowing, we need to be seeing those people as well. So instead of families saying we need to be protecting so-and-so, families should be saying you have a problem. What you're doing is that's not normal that you should be putting your hands on someone. So we need you to go and speak to someone and try and figure out why that's happening. And there's always going to be a reason. And one of those reasons we already kind of touched on to say that this becomes a cycle. We grow up in these homes. We see these things. We normalize violence. Yeah. And a a lot of the times you hear people saying, but he seemed like he was a nice guy. Yeah. You hear that quite a lot. He seemed like he was a nice guy. But we don't know what he's been through that might have kind of changed it. You know, exactly. Absolutely. We don't know what trauma he has been through. That then has changed the way he sees um, what he's doing at that time. And also what you described in terms of how it tends to get worse, because at some point it becomes an issue of control. It's no longer love. It's no longer... He just wants more and more control and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. But uh, that idea of somebody then looking at themselves or trying to protect their family is exactly what trauma is. And I'm really glad, Mrs. Hannah, that you spoke so extensively like yeah. you did. I'm glad that you did yes. because you touched on every part absolutely every part of what happens when somebody is going through something like that and family. Yes. Uh, And and in particular to the men, I'm talking to the brothers, the husband, uh, uncles, friends. Sometimes you just have to know a time when you need to just get in there. Because what happens with trauma is when it takes over someone, they're not seeing things right anymore. So that's when we need to be jumping in knowing fully well that even if we suspect that something is going on go pull that person to the side and say listen I'm hearing that this is something that might be going on mm-hmm. yeah but we don't accept that yeah we this used to be the norm in our past if you look at that but in the world that we live in now you know the, the nuclear family is becoming nothing anymore we don't really support each other the way we used to now you know it's a very capitalist world we're caught up in working you go and do your own thing with your family you go you know But we need to bring back that nuclear family because it was that protection that we had, where we knew if something was happening to someone, we would show up. There was that sense of knowing that, okay, listen, I have to do it. There is no question about it. If I need to bring in a a few other guys so we can go sit down and talk to you, that's fine. In fact, I I remember prior to me getting married uh, to my wife, my my wife's uh, father is actually uh, from Grand Turk and from uh, the Bahamas. He took me uh, out to the ocean, Uh I had a heavy feeling <laughs> that day, because you know the way he's driving out to the ocean. It was, yeah, it was it was it was pretty rough. Uh, he didn't have to say much to me on that day, yeah, except to just say, "Listen, you know, if you if you're gonna marry my daughter, make sure she's looked after." Yeah, and the message is clear. Yeah, it's still clear. It, yeah, yeah, it's still clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he's not with us anymore, but. Like you said, the message is still clear. She comes from a place where they have, you know, she has people who who look after her, you know, people who love her, you know. Because at some point, when an abuser is abusing someone, you stop being human to them. Yeah, they stop putting these connections that this is actually somebody's daughter, and sometimes that's exactly what you want to be happening in their brain is that there's still connections, there's still people out there, you know, who care for her. So I need to be careful about what I do then it becomes his problem and not your problem to deal with as a trauma uh, later on. Yes. Yeah.
1: That is so important. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. And, you know, I I was listening to you and you're saying that most times persons will say, oh, you know, he was never like this, was never. And that brings me to another point. Most of your clients that you would see that are affected by domestic violence, would you say that you have mainly females or males come in?
0: So that's that's a very good question. So it it is mainly females. I do see some, some males, but by far, by far, it's it's many more women than men. Yeah.
1: And that's the thing with us also. Mm. Um, I show, you know, our stakeholders (laughs) such as the police, you know, with special um, within the police force, you know, you'll have the SPP Mm. unit, which really zoning on domestic violence cases. And then you also have our other clients that work with the children's social development. And right. And even when we come back down to the case of trauma, you know, we work closely in the government with behavioral health services, which really looking and zoning on these things. And all of them will tell you that majority of the persons who are coming tend to be females. But why do you think men are not coming out, especially to seek help? for wellness because you stress the fact that you know families or persons around who care need to say to these persons that you know you need some help but why do you think because i do we have cases where persons come in and said we have spoken to them we have asked them to go we have helped them to go but we know that because of gender norms and society and the way society look at males and the way we raise we ourselves raise our males are to be strong and mature and not to cry so You, in your field of expertise, tell us, why do you think men are not coming out for help?
0: Yeah, I think you you pretty much just answered it there when you said that it it is society. Yeah, absolutely. It's how um, we're socialized. So as a man, you're socialized that you're supposed to be the strong one. Uh, There was actually um, an incident that happened maybe about five, maybe six, seven years ago in the UK. And there's a documentary online on this. Because uh, the man who was going through this uh, abuse recorded it. Unfortunately, he ended up being killed by his partner, you know, through all of this. But I think that then really highlighted uh, what men are actually going through and the fear of speaking up. Because it gets to a point that, because, you know, we live in a very macho society. Very, very, very macho society. And it's one of these places where if you were to say to your friends even, or to your family to say, listen, my wife is physically abusing me. It's it could be reason for people to mock it. Yeah. Yeah. As a man. Yeah. But these are things that happen. It's, and most of the time, it's not necessarily that, the, you know, uh, the man can't fight back. But this could be a very principled man who says, no, I, I don't want to be getting into fights. I don't want to be getting into any of that. And then he finds himself uh, in, in an abusive relationship, uh, you know, like that. But like you said, It's how men are socialized. But that's also something we need to start changing. Um, What everybody has to know is this. And I've I've sat, you know, in that therapy seat for quite a long time. Anything can happen to anybody. Anything can happen to anybody. So at what point we might be saying, taking it lightly about what's going on with someone. And then we find ourselves in that situation. And when we find ourselves in that situation because we didn't help, we can't say anything either. Yeah. So we then find ourselves struggling in the same place. So what we're saying is this, is as a standard, let's have empathy. Whenever you're hearing somebody's story, even if you're finding there's some judgment within you, you don't need to comment. You don't need to be saying, it's better you say nothing than to say something bad because you never know, what, you know what the, or how the situation is going to end. If you can't, if you can't support the person, then it'll be good for you to know where they might be able to get some support. And then you can lead them on to there and say, listen, go go and get some support from over there. Yeah, But certainly there are some men out there, it's true, yes, who are going through that. Uh, and it's not just uh, physical abuse, by the way. Emotional, there's a lot more emotional abuse that tends to happen Yeah, you know, with, with men. And they don't know how to uh, describe that about what's going on with them, but they're struggling. So you find mm-hmm. they don't go home after, they, they, you know, they're drinking instead of going home instead, you know, because a, a lot of stress but because at home they're facing a lot of, you know, this uh, emotional abuse.
1: That is so true. And that is the thing. You see, women tend to be more emotional. So they tend to talk. They will find somebody and they will share it with. But men, because they don't want to show any sign of weakness, Mm. they keep it in. But by keeping it in, what's going to happen? Because if they keep it in, you know, I'm thinking of a pressure cooker. And if you keep, that pressure keeps rising, what's going to happen? So what is going to happen if they keep it in? Not just men, but women. But if they keep it in and they don't share it? Because I want persons to understand from this life is that... When you leave here, don't be afraid to seek help. So what? explain to them what will happen yeah. if they keep it in for so many years or so a long time, hide it. I mean, Miss Hannah, she shared that she, she didn't want her family to know yeah. at first. It's only because they found out and brought it to her attention. Yeah. Eventually, over time, then she had to confess. Yeah. So keep it in. But you have some people who they actually have the ability to hide it, yeah. right? Especially, and I do want to stress the men, because people tend to think that gender-based violence, domestic violence is a woman thing. Yeah. It's only women. But you do have men who are actually getting some licking in them skin as yeah. well, you know. Yeah. And like people yeah. want to say, people will say that, you know, women may get the hits, but men get this the no, uh, yes. They get those yes. words. You know, we women sometimes we know those words to bring them down just That's as the hit, which is yes. hotter. Yes. So why should they seek help because of that?
0: Well, why should the uh, men seek help? Yeah. Well, I, I I like that you mentioned that it's like a pressure cooker because that's exactly what it is. So many people think if I just ignore it, it's, it's gonna go away. Many men in particular, with everything, whether it's an, you know, with, to do with emotions, just ignore it, it's going to go away. Uh, what do we then tend to see? We tend to see what we see worldwide and what we see here in Turks and Caicos. In Turks and Caicos, you I think the last uh, statistics were maybe in 2016. Uh, these were suicide uh, statistics. Uh, there were a lot more women who attempted suicide than men in, in Turks and Caicos, and I believe, if I remember correctly, there were about two men only who had attempted suicide. No women out of out of the many women who attempted suicide completed suicide. The two men completed suicide. Right. So, what what can we kind of deduce from those kind of statistics? It's like you said, women are more willing to ask for help. Sometimes taking pills is more trying to tell you this is how serious things are. I need help. Whereas with men. Like you mentioned, the pressure cooker, it gets to a point where he then feels, well, there's absolutely nothing that will ever help me at this point in time. So when they go and do it, they are they do mean it and they go ahead and do it. That's the importance of, like you said, talking. Yeah. If you don't want to come and see somebody within services, our services, speak to somebody you trust. Speak to somebody who you know will be able to list. That's a good start. Somebody who will at least validate how you're feeling and what's going on. And that's where we then have to come in now as friends. We need to start reevaluating, uh, you know, yeah. who we are as friends. Yeah, what kind of support do I offer my friends? If my friend was to come to me and say, "This is my situation," what do I do? You know, how do I then support them? Because that's a huge part of. We, we're all going to go through some kind of difficulty. So, how do we support each other? You know, um, when my friend is in a crisis.
1: Okay, that is important. Mm-hmm. But I also want to bring out a point that you made previously in your statement that sometimes if we don't know what to say, it's best to not say yes. anything. Yes. Yes. Because sometimes what we say can make a situation oh, yes. worse. Absolutely, Because you do have clients that will come and they will say, oh, I went to this friend and they told me to do this. And that... What they told them to do can leave them in trouble. Mm. I mean, we have had also had clients where clients come and they will say, Oh, you know, I was just trying to help out my friend and next thing, you know, I catch a case Mm. because, you know, Mm. okay, this man beat up this woman. So okay, let us go beat him back up. Mm. And what are you gonna end up with? Okay, so you know, if you, it's important also to know what to say, and if you don't know what to say, need help. And this is a question that came out from your conversation as well, Miss Hannah, that I want to bring back to your attention. Now, um, in your capacity as, uh, I know you work close with the church as well. That's your heartbeat, right? And so you spoke about the, the church. But even before we go, we just want to thank, uh, Mr. Tenache. For being here with us. I know he has to run because, guess what? There are so many people that can help. So, thank you so much for being with us. And now, Miss Aki, she's going to take over and she's going to continue yes. to share the word to Naked Truth. Thanks for having so me. So, Miss Hannah the attention i want to ask is about the church you mentioned that you spoke with um your pastor i believe you said from your church but you don't think they understood that you did not get that feeling so why is it that the church and this is a question that's coming from the live as well somebody wants to know why is it that the church is not as involved as they should be or they are not persons don't feel fulfilled by going to some pastor because it's not all of them right so what is it? And you could probably even share if you have ever had someone come to you in that capacity and how
2: it was dealt with So I'm going to answer that in in two sets. Okay. So the first part is from my 17-year-old self. Um, the 17-year-old version of me did not understand how the whole pastoral office worked. So the window that I'm looking from at the time is very one-sided because I felt that I was in need I didn't want you know I didn't want to hear anything about forgiveness I didn't want to hear I, I did not want to hear that what I wanted my pastor to tell me was I got you and what this person did was terrible I wanted him to be on my side Really, I'm going to be, you know, very truthful. Um. So I analyze it from from that position. So now life has ter- taken a turn because now I sit in that seat mm-hmm. along with my husband. And one of the things that the wider community, I think, doesn't know is that from a pastoral standpoint, you cannot go out and say, Oh, Miss Morgan came and Miss Morgan husband is beaten her. You can't share that information. You really can't share anything. And so oftentimes, um, where there is no knowledge, um, there's accusation. And so I think, well, I I I can only speak about, you know, the church that I'm a part of because I have direct knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we would be surprised. You know, like, I know your numbers are just maybe 1%. Because a lot of people turn to the church for counsel. Um, and they do get it. But it's not something that you openly go and talk about. Um, there have been my personal pastoral experience. Something comes immediately to mind. Two cases, um, One uh, was a married couple and I think it's because of my experience too. Like I am very, just very attentive and I noticed something and it was the, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I just whispered, no, you're not okay. And then it was the visible, you know, blue face, black and blue face, the you can't just gently touch and it's and my husband and I, along with um another uh our sister pastor, went to the individual. And why are you doing this? Listen, you think that this lady don't have anyone? I'm letting you know she has someone. And if you ever put your hands on her again you know because that's the thing mm-hmm. people need to know that somebody's there somebody is there and and in our country here in Turks and Caicos what I'm finding a lot of is persons who may be on a work permit and they're all types it's not just the physical abuse mm-hmm. right Some people are are going like they're treating people almost like a slave, which is a form of abuse. And they're holding these things over them. And because I have to work, I need the money that if I if I say anything, you know, I tell people there is help available. I know who to call to get you the support. I'm too afraid because because if I do this, if I do this, this is gonna be the consequence. And the consequence in in the mindset is greater than someone just talking to me bad or um, slapping up on me or withholding, you know, the basic needs—no food, no no place to live, no electricity. And thirdly, the third issue um, out of that is, and this is all of this is what I'm saying is, we have to be very careful of how we disclose information. Because when you are standing out of that window, you can make all the assumptions that you want. But the person that is living in that, yeah. they're, they're terrified. Yes, yeah. And so even as a pastor, sometimes people come and they confide, they open up, but pastor please, because if you ever, it's gonna make matters worse. So that person's life. And then knowing that sadly, um, a doctor said something and I'm like, man, this is so powerful and, and, and just so truthful because with a domestic situation, I, me being the victim, I have to go and give that report. I have to go and give consent and say yes, right? Yes, this has happened. Yes, this, I want to press charges. And if I withdraw, there's no markets. There's 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 nothing. There's nothing the police can do. Whereas if someone goes and assaults someone, this is a whole different. Other people can now be involved so we have to look at our, the framework of our law but that's a whole other whole other subject so sticking to the the matter about the church and what the church is doing and what the church can do i don't think it's that the church is not doing anything i just think that the church is often in a position that they can't they can't publicly share you know um information because if we do that then that creates a whole other a whole other issue because our population is not um known or you know we're just receiving knowledge about going and seeking um, medical help before if you were going to a psychiatrist or counselor or the word mental health was used, you were deemed as crazy mm-hmm. and, and you didn't want that attached to you. So the security, the church becomes the safest place. And Pastor, you can't tell. Mm-hmm. You you can't tell. You know, so we have to we have to um consider consider those factors um when we are talking. And then finally what I would say is um even from the pastoral the pastoral place now a lot of pastors are now going back and becoming professionally trained um in counseling because the depth of what we are seeing is becoming wider and wider and deeper and deeper, so it's almost, you know, when something is in your face, you can no longer pretend like the elephant isn't in the room. Because now the elephant is in the room and the elephant is very loud. The elephant the elephant is not hiding. He wants you to know that he's there. So you have to deal with it. Um and that has just been, you know, my my experience and just moving around in the church world. Um it happens in our churches a lot. Mm-hmm more than we want to we want to be honest with and if you are going to reach people you have to start by telling them the truth that you know what this happens and if this is happening to you as a church this is what is available this is this is the channels that are available available for you to access that there is help you know that there is help there is help there there is help. I like that statement. There
1: is help. Everyone, there is yes. help. And a lot of time persons will say, oh, I can't bother because um there's no help. Or if I do access the help, it may lead worse because persons are fearful. And you know, I am looking at some of the questions that came also from um in the live and persons. Wanted to stress the point, and I do want to stress the point also about confidentiality. I noticed you spoke about about that, about cannot stay. And that is an issue we have. And it's not just with the church, you know, where persons will come and if they come, let me use us, the Department of Gender Affairs, if they come here and they believe that they are not safe with us, what they say to us is going to go back to their partner. Because when persons come to us, whether it is or any of our key stakeholders that work with us. Um, or we work with them, like the SPPU, I, and the SPPU is the police, it's a unit within the police, a safeguarding and protection unit uh, within the police force. And, you know, if they go to behavioral health services or if they come to social development, once persons feel that they what they're saying or saying to us is not in confidence or anybody hears about it, immediately, it's a hands off. Yes. They would have feel twice defeated right and so that is why we stand firm on this issue of confidentiality we want persons to know that when you come when you speak whatever you say it's confident and i'm sure miss aki you can tell us how important is confidentiality when dealing with cases of
3: domestic violence um hi everyone Uh, my name is aki um thank you so much for sharing your all your stories mrs hannah um the keeping confidentiality, keeping confidentiality is the most important part of the part of the um, part of this section. I think one of the most, um, because it creates safety. And for someone to so, what I wanted to so kind of like piggybacking what uh, Mrs. Hannah shared with me, mm-hmm. uh, shared with us, um, the two components to this, uh, in order for other people, in order for The people who are experiencing uh, domestic violence to come forward and seek help. We need to one. We need to really think about shame because that's the huge blockage for them to come to seek help. Mm -hmm. So, um, if the words are spread out, then you know that the um, the image of having issues becomes the shame of the family, shame of the the person, Mm -hmm. shame of everything. So. Um, I think important part of it is um, that we understand how shame works uh, individually and then as a bigger picture, as in a bigger uh, community. Cool. And the second part of it is the safety. So when we take, take down the, uh, take away the shame, then that's how we create safety. And then so in order for us to sort of be open, be honest and come forward to seek help, we need to be able to create that safety. So that's why confidentiality is really important because if as a professional also, if we are spreading out, you know, people's information, then there's no um, safety between therapist and client or even clinic to the community, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, creating safety is important and then a huge component is shame
1: yes if that I, makes
3: sense it makes a lot of sense and i'm glad you brought up safety mm-hmm. because another
1: concern that we have and if you know even looking at the chat we realize that persons and knowing from us coming into us clients coming into us is that once persons don't feel safe or at risk even if they come to you initially some of them will even go after the first say, court case for a protection order they back out because they will tell you, oh, sometimes they feel mm-hmm. that the protection order still won't keep them safe, safe. Because the respondent, which is the person who has committed the act mm-hmm. against them, will often tell them, I don't care. I don't care. And this is who I know. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. who I hear from. Yes. And everything you do, I, I will know. And so I can still come and I can still harm you, and nobody will harm me because, you know, what it is. And they, some of them may throw in where they're from mm-hmm. and so on. And so persons may feel unsafe but I want to tell persons that go through with the process mm-hmm. because 90% of the time these persons are just talking mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. some of the people they are mentioning they have probably only seen them on Facebook mm-hmm. right absolutely they have probably absolutely. only seen the, their number or heard their name or mm-hmm. somebody they know may know them mm-hmm. they sometimes don't know these people and sometimes they are putting these people um name out there in a negative light mm-hmm. because they are not assisting mm-hmm. them so I'm um, Employment persons follow through with the process because I mean a lot of times safety I realize for people is just based on what they think or what they heard. Mm -hmm. So they heard that oh this is not going to work or they heard that this may not happen but go through with the process. Try the process look at the process see what will happen and I understand persons that have been at risk and that is why the police is there Mm -hmm. to safeguard and to protect right. If you don't tell them you cannot accuse them that they did not help you so let us go for it and do that and then the thing i also want to bring up i could if i i could not finish this live without talking about this because our, our director mrs dickinson Carolyn dickinson right um she will tell you and she will stress it all the time physical is what everybody look at the physical abuse but when listening to you mrs hannah we realized that you experienced the first thing you said your experience was the words the use of the explicit the words and you know so we also have to realize that persons think that if someone is not being beaten upon they're not experiencing domestic abuse so wrong so wrong the the verbal abuse the psychological abuse i mean the financial abuse which is what a lot of people i glad when you brought that up about people holding papers over a person's head and their work, they're being exploited in their work. Because you have persons who they work and they have to hand over their pay. Some persons work and they don't even see their pay because their partner picks it up, right? Sometimes a family member who picks it up, somebody who holds their paper and they never see it. That's financial abuse. Right. If you don't have money to buy even your basic access, if somebody moves out, they know they're the one that provides food for you. They provide clothing, covering, and they leave. And because they're upset, because you probably they probably beat you up, and you probably reported it or anything along that line, and they refuse to provide. that is financial abuse. And persons may say, "Oh, that's nothing." But let me, I tell you, from working with cases that I'm going to ask Miss Akin a minute. Which one is worse, the physical or the psychological and the verbal? Because I always say physical abuse, you can go to the doctor, you can go down to the medical center, right? You can go down to the hospital or you can go to privately because you want to cover it up and hide it. Mm -hmm. But how do we hide the psychological?
3: How do we hide that part? Close off, completely close off. We all do that. Um I've experienced domestic violence um, at a young age, at, at the age of four, as well as when I was um adult. So at the age of twenty. So um and I've experienced both physical and verbal. But the the scar that I carry the longer is definitely the the emotional, psychological, and verbal. And then I'm glad that you brought up that financial part of it um also because um that's again you know to do with safety right if that person who gets abused uh financially also um the reason why it's hard for us to come forward sorry not us for them to come forward is because oh If I talk about this and if I get separated from this person, then how am I going to live? How am I going to survive? So it's not on uh, the support that we need to create. It's not on uh, on the individual level, but systemically as a bigger community, we need to be able to sort of provide support to those who experience domestic abuse um, to be able to sort of step, to be able for them to be able to step forward and be like, okay, I am experiencing this but I'm going to go through this you know process because I have the 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 support communal support to to be able to do you know what I mean so which is something that uh, actually the wellness center is uh, trying to establish the safe house so that the we can actually place someone in a safe house um, during the time that they're going through that sort of you know through that stage to move on to the next step A transition yeah transitional. yeah so that is excellent yeah and
1: now i know this conversation is really the naked truth we are hearing some stuff here that some of us probably didn't even imagine even some things are popping out at me but guess what we have to go soon mm-hmm. so the last question i have for you mrs hannah and you miss aki i just want to ask What advice would you give to someone who might be experiencing domestic abuse or probably see signs that they could experience it?
2: What would you advise them? So just before um, I answer that, I have to say this: as a community, as a country, we, we have become so desensitized to the same verbal abuse. Yes. Because it's almost as if it's a part of our culture Normalized. and we think that it's okay. If you go on Facebook and the way that we speak of each other when we disagree or if something happens and my feelings are so strong, regardless of how I feel about something that has happened, I should by no way feel comfortable that I can go on a social media platform and because you and I had something so I'm going to get you, so I'm going to go on social media, I'm going to take your picture I'm going to put it there and I can just just lay you out and then all of my friends going to come like, 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 mm-hmm. like and we have not even realized that what we're doing is we've, we've opened up our country to abuse mm-hmm. so the pulling on the hand, the slapping somebody in the face, you know what we're saying? It's okay because I put my heart, I put my thumbs up to it. I put a heart, I put a comment there, good for you. And we've become so negative and so toxic, but that's a whole other conversation, Mm -hmm. but it is abuse. Because a lot of times people that are the center of that, they don't comment, there's no feedback. But we don't know the internal battles Mm. that they're going through because of what was done. They never had an opportunity to tell their side of the story. We just hear something and we deem it's gospel. Because not everybody is going to defend. So if we are going to talk about domestic violence, you're 100% and you have my full support. We can't just look at the physical abuse there are all of these other things that are happening right here in our country that we have to bring to we have to tell the naked truth the truth when you know the truth it it will set you free yeah so now to answer your question i had i could not go home (laughs) and not and not and not say that so what what would i do or what advice i would give the first thing that i would tell someone is that one you're not alone that's very important. Mm-hmm. You are not alone. Mm-hmm. And there there is help available. Um, you know, I make myself available. And, you know, we have a tremendous team at New Life Worship Center, not just my husband, um, myself, our associate pastor, we have ministers, um, we have connections in the police department through social services, so we know who to call don't ever feel as if you are alone and never forget you know your anchor your anchor has to be in understanding your worth that you are worth fighting for mm-hmm. it's very easy to fight for everybody else but the hardest person mm-hmm. to fight for sometimes oh it's you mm-hmm. and you know don't think about if there are children involved or how am I going to survive? I can't do it without this person. You have to, you have to like push all of those thoughts to the back of your mind and you have to say, you know, this one, this one is for me and I, I don't deserve, no one, no one should have the, the, the privilege of breaking me from being all that God called me to be. i I've been fearfully and I've been wonderfully made, and it doesn't matter what my beginning was. it did it doesn't matter my my social background, my upbringing. I deserve an I, I deserve an opportunity to be whole and to yes. feel love and to love. and no one has the right to take that away from you. So I'm gonna tell you, get up and fight, fight for you. Yeah. fight for you. and then, you're going to become someone that becomes an advocate for someone else. And just like that, that that's how we're going to solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. Is I could take my story and I could get my healing and go live my happily ever after and be good. But you know what? I told my story. And it helped somebody else. It helped them change their situation. And then I told that person the same thing. Go help someone else. And this is what we grew up on, the village the village came, the village showed up, and how we showed up. We didn't show up by going and talking. Girl, child, you didn't know. And child, she had to come to my mummy house. And no, what I did was I put my arms around you. Right. And I let you know, hey, I got you. You, you, my sister, we may not be blood, but we blood. I got you, and there's help. And and the doctor said it earlier, the person who, who is who who has these anger issues and and whatever is going on be it psychological whatever we have to let them know that there's help available for them as well and stop raising this angry culture you know that, that to me that is that is the that is the seed everybody is so angry and there's not a way to 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 have sensible conflict resolution Mm -hmm. if you and your partner having a disagreement jump in the car and go for a drive go stand up in the shower and 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 and, and take a five you understand go sit on the beach and look at the waves and then come back and act like grown-ups when we begin to address those things i think we're gonna see we're gonna see change that's my five cents. <laughs> That's
1: so 30 seconds with Aki. 30 what seconds. Would you say to someone about seeking help? Because then we just one person to know help is out there. Like Miss Tanya said, help is out there. What would you say to persons people?
3: who are experiencing it about seeking help? I would say, I would take off, take off the shame and then I would say, I hear you. I'm here for you. And we've got this together.
1: Thank you so Thank much. You. And so here we are. Everyone knows someone. This live is not just for you. It's for you because you know someone. And if that someone is yourself, I just want to stress: help is out there. There are some key things that I cannot not go without telling you. Seek help. You have the police. If you are afraid of even going into the general station, which you should do, if you, if there's an emergency, you call nine one one immediately. But. If you have time, you can go and speak with members of the SPPU unit, the safeguarding and protection unit within the police force, right? Go ahead. You also have continents available from the behavioral health services. If it is that it's a medical emergency, you can go by the hospital. And once children are involved, you come to social development. And every and anything come to the department of gender affairs right now if you look in the chat my colleagues i'm sure is putting it in there the contact numbers for the department of gender affairs and all the departments that you can look so you just look in the chat they are right there right so you can call us you can Send us a Facebook message. You can WhatsApp any means you get to us. We are located in Provenciales, right here in the department, the same department at Old Social Development. We're right there um, in Butterfield Square. We're also in Grand Turk, right? And so guess what? Not because we're in those two places. We come to all the family islands. So if you need us, you need to reach us, you get us. Also, the police are in all the family islands. Get to us. We will assist you everyone knows someone. And that is why everyone needs to come out on the 28th of this month. The 28th of this month at seven o'clock, we are having a walk, an anti-domestic violence walk from the First Caribbean Bank down to Butterfield Square. We want everybody to know that help is out there. We want everybody to know if you believe That domestic violence should not happen. And you want to stand against it. With the team of the Department of Gender Affairs. Justice as well. Will be there. And you can also reach out to them. They have a victim support unit. Come out on the 28th. I need to see everybody. Yeah, you. You say one. (laughs) You that's listening to me. And the persons that will watch it after. Everyone. And the persons you know. Because everyone knows someone. Come out on the 28th. 7 a.m. meet us at First Caribbean Bank parking lot and we are going to walk. We are going to talk. We are going to share. We are going to spread the word that there is no excuse for abuse. Thank you all for joining us and we just want to thank our panelists again. Mrs. Hannah, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Ms. Aki, thank you so much and yes, Mr. Tanashi, thank you for coming out. We had a great chat. This was just a shirt. Even though it's a naked truth, we only took off the shirt and the blouse. We still have the pants to go and the skirt. (laughs) So when we have the time, we will continue to uncover the naked truth and domestic violence. Have a good one.